Girl Camper is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. To learn more about what Progressive can do for you, call 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or go to progressive.com backslash RV. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit and I'm a girl camper. I go places and I do things in my little 1966 Go Tag Along vintage travel trailer. Along the way, I meet many interesting people traveling the back roads, and I want to share their stories with you. We will talk about the qualities of what makes a girl camper and how you can become a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party, and you're invited. Stay tuned while I share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. Welcome, I'm Janine Pettit, Girl Camping Ambassador, Blogger, Adventurist, and Podcaster, and this is Episode 29 of Girl Camper, the Podcast. Well, it's all about our weekend in Wichita today. Wichita is a destination. I just came back from a whirlwind weekend in Wichita with my BFF, Carol. When Carol and I were invited to a wedding in Wichita, we didn't hesitate to say yes, and we decided to tack an extra day onto our trip to see all the sights that we could see in Wichita. And we were not disappointed. Wichita is art. This city in the heartland has something for young and old, active and not so active, and for all the lovers of art. Stay tuned as we talk about all the things you can see and do if you go to Wichita, too. Girl Camper is sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Stay protected with emergency expenses. They're automatically included with your comprehensive and collision insurance. Progressive will pay for temporary expenses, which would mean transportation and towing. If your RV is damaged more than 50 miles from home, which is where we usually are when we're in our RV, it's just another way Progressive helps you. Call 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or visit Progressive.com backslash RV for more information today. Well, there's a lot of news to round up in our news roundup today. First, I want to tell you that we had a great response last week to our news that the Paint Like a Girl event is on the meetup, meetup meetup.com. The meetup site is Camp Like a Girl. There is only 15 spaces in this painting workshop being given by the beautiful artist Mary Gregory at her 60-acre homestead out in western Texas near Abilene. 
five people have already signed up for that trip, so there are 10 spots left. So if that's something you're considering, go online, take a look at Mary's work if you're a painter, or maybe you're just a wannabe, or maybe you just want to go and hang out at Mary's beautiful home and, you know, have festive food with the girl campers, whatever it is you want to do. And I mentioned last week that we had a second trip, and I didn't want to report them both on the same day, wanted to give them their equal due. So there's another trip, and I'm excited about this trip. So one of our listeners, Gail, who lives in Ohio and works in the summers at Beaver Creek State Park, kept talking about Beaver Creek State Park on one of our meetup sites. And I started thinking, boy, that sounds so cool. So I wrote to Gail and I asked her if she would put together a trip and she did. And that trip is happening in September. The dates are September 23rd. Am I getting this right yet? September 23rd to September 26th. It's going to take place at Beaver Creek State Park, which is in East Liverpool, Ohio, uh, west of Pittsburgh. It's at the beginning of Ohio, the eastern side of Ohio. And I'm excited about this trip for a couple reasons. One, this is a state park. So there is electric at some of the sites, but not all of the sites. And there are very clean um, porta potties, but not showers. It's a sun shower. So this is real diehard camping the way it used to be. Now, if you're a fancy pants camper and you have a trailer that has a solar panel, then you can take a shower and you have a holding tank and all that. You're going to be fine. But anyway, anyone can live for three days without even a solar shower if they had to. But there is showers, uh, solar bags available if you want to go that route. Anyway, this is real diehard camping, but... Um, Beaver Creek State Park is a beautiful facility. I've been looking at it online, and there's a grist mill there and a re reproduction pioneer village. And Gail, she has some pull over there, so she's going to ask the people that run the pioneer village to fire up the grist mill for us so we can see it working. I'm really excited about that because I've seen it once before. They have one here in New Jersey that's really cool. Anyway, one of the things I'm really looking forward to about this trip and it's what sold me on the idea, is there's a naturalist at this park, and she's going to take us on an owl hike. I can't wait to do that. So we're going to go out at like 9 o'clock at night with our flashlights, and she calls the owls. Now, apparently there's a CD you can get, and you can play the CD at your campsite and call the owls right from around the campfire. So I don't know if the naturalist calls the owls herself, who if she knows how to do it because I would imagine every owl breed or species has a different owl sound but anyway so we're going to go out on this owl hike at night and that part of Ohio and I'm, I'm familiar with Steubenville and I think it's near Steubenville where Steubenville glass was made well this is where Homer Laughlin um, dishes in China were made. And there's other China. So we're going to be going on tours of the Homer Laughlin factory and outlet. I, I, I have so many Homer Laughlin dishes. So anyway, it sounds like a really good trip. And so here's a funny thing that happened. Somebody, I, I posted this last week. So there's 15 people that are already signed up for this trip, but it's a big park. I mean, we can have 50 people. It doesn't matter. And I want to clear something up now. This may seem like a strange thing to say, 
But this is what we call in Sisters on the Fly a Mr. Sister trip. The girls are going to be camping like girls. We're going to be putting out our beautiful tablecloths and we're going to be making everything lovely and we're going to be as comfortable as can be. But there are some women who are bringing their husbands. So one of the women who uh, signed up for the trip wrote me a note and she said, is it possible that I could bring my husband? Because she lived several hours away, but East Liverpool was her husband's hometown. And he thought, oh, I would love to go back and visit. So she said, would you mind if my husband came? And I said, not at all. And then someone else said, oh, could my husband come? So I said, you know what? Let's make it a mister-sister trip. I always think it's good for your mister-sister to see how much fun you have with your girlfriends and to dispel the myth that we're doing anything crazy. All we're doing is sitting around the fire talking and laughing. But anyway, so if you're a girl camper and you want to come and camp like a girl and you want to bring your husband along to see what all the fuss is about, you're welcome to bring him. It's not required. There's plenty of people coming who are not bringing husbands. So my own husband is on the fence about this trip because it's the tail end of a big um, journey for me. So he might just fly out and meet me and, and uh, drive back together with me and have a fun fall weekend. So September 23rd through 26th, it is in Beaver Creek State Park, East Liverpool, Ohio, it is on meetup.com. So you have to go to meetup.com and you have to click on the little toolbar for distance. There's a little drop down box. It'll say any distance. You type in camp like a girl and then you can see all the trips that are listed there. So thank you, Gail from Ohio, for putting this all together for us. Uh, that's another fun trip, end of September. In our other news roundup, I want to tell you that my monthly blog for Go RVing came out last week. And, and this is sort of a funny story. Sometimes as a writer, when you sit down to tell a story, it turns into something else. And this was one of those occasions. I have always been so, um, it just, uh, I feel such uh, incredible awe of uh, Becky Clark and Maury Sussman, who founded the Sisters on the Fly. And to me, the Sisters on the Fly is what it was the genesis of the girl camping movement. I mean, that group is 20 years old, but most people only heard of girl camping the last two or three years. But Sisters on the Fly has 7,000 members right now. So I have been wanting for a long time to just do a story on a Maury and Becky for Go RVing. But as I sat down to write that story, and tell the world that Becky Clark and Maury Sussman were the founders, are the founders of the girl camping movement as we know it today. Not the, that Girl Scouts and hiking groups and all that didn't already exist. But what we know as glamping today was really started by Maury Sussman and Becky Clark. But when I sat down to write their story... I really got into their background, and it really was a story about their mother, Maisie. And Maisie um, died two years ago, I believe, and she was three days shy of her 94th or 95th birthday. And I had the pleasure of meeting Maisie a couple of times, and she was a spectacular woman. The week before she died, she was on a sister-on-the-fly trip. She was girl camping up in um, the Pacific Northwest, posting pictures of herself on Facebook, taking um, 
a ride in a um, gondola across the sky there and having lunch and smoking a cigar. And anyway, she died very suddenly and peacefully in, in a lovely way. And I started writing the story and I thought, this is not really a story about Maury and Becky because there would be no Maury and Becky and there would be no Sisters on the Fly if first they did not have this incredible mother. And so I've met Maury, um, Maisie a couple of times and had the pleasure of being with her and so I knew her personally and so the stories they told me of her younger days and of when she was raising them and the kind of mother she was because her husband was an Air Force Colonel or a Marine I'm sorry and he was a fighter pilot and he was deployed a lot for like a year at a time and the way Maisie just kept the home fires going and made everything so fun was she was just a wonderful spectacular mother anyway that story is out there, and it's on the Go RVing blog. So you have to go to Go RVing and take the scenic route. Uh, up on the toolbar, you'll see Meet the Bloggers, and you can click on there and go to Janine Pettit. Or you could do what my mother does, <laughs> because my mother can't manage toolbars. She just Googles Janine Pettit Go RVing. Every time she wants to read a story of mine, she just goes into Google, and she says, Janine Pettit go RVing and she finds the story so that's out there and, and I really it was the my favorite story that I ever wrote for go RVing and I just loved Maisie and you will love her too so another thing I want to tell you about and this is for all of our vintage camper people which I know many of our listeners own a vintage camper and I have my little 1966 go tag along my husband and I for family camping have a 1960s frolic we don't even know what year it is because there's no title for it but anyway um for years I have been getting this magazine called Vintage Camper Trailers. I oh gosh, when this magazine comes, I just sit down on the couch with a cup of tea. It is eye candy. It's full of beautiful stories about um people in their trailers. If I had to summarize, I would say this magazine is about restorers, resources, and rallies for vintage trailer owners. So what got me going on vintage trailers last week is that I saw this really great story online and I just want to share it because it's just one of those things that makes everybody's heart sing. I read this and it just made my day. So the Vintage tra uh, vintage Camper Trailers, this is a magazine published by Paul Lacintalos. Lacintalos. I hope I'm saying his last name right. I, I spoke to Paul on the phone a couple of times because he was nice enough to feature a vintage trailer that we were auctioning off for um, charity in the magazine for us at no charge. Sweet as can be, nicest guy in the world, camps with his wife and two kids, vintage trailer aficionado. And he put together this magazine, which I have been getting for several years. It comes out six times a year and it costs 25 bucks and it's glossy and wonderful. And I'm going to put the link in the show notes because if you're not getting this magazine, you should. So anyway, this magazine has all kinds of resources. If you're restoring a vintage trailer or you want to make your new trailer have more of a vintage feel, Maybe you're going to take out the countertops. This is where you find out where to buy those 1950s boomerang countertops with the nice little uh, metal trim going around them. Are you listening to me, Damien? <laughs> you know who you are. 
Damien and Angelita Bonita, they're going to be redoing their trailer, and they got to get this magazine because this is where all the resources are. But I know many people who get this magazine, and they sort of uh, vintage vibe up their brand new trailers. But anyway, I was on Facebook, and there was this darling story. So the vintage camper people... This magazine is full of the rallies. The whole back of the magazine is all over the country where you can go see the vintage campers on display. If you own one, where you can participate in a rally. And if you don't own one, but just like vintage cars, if you don't own them, you like to go look at them when they're having a car show. If you want to go look at them, you can see where all the rallies are. Well, a big group of the vintage camper trailer owners were on their way to a rally in Southern California, and they did something that just made my heart leap. Someone had the idea that they would stop at this nursing home on their way to the rally. And they had coordinated this with the nursing home owner ahead of time, or manager. And so they stopped, they all parked their cars in their vintage camper, and they went inside and they got all the residents in the nursing home and they spent several hours there bringing them out in their wheelchairs and with their canes and allowing them to have the tour of the trailers and it was a huge hit. The people were so happy. I mean, the pictures were so darling. It just made me it just made me weep with happiness for them. Can you imagine? They brought their vintage trailer show to them. So naturally, I started thinking that all us New Jersey girls got to get our vintage campers and bring them to a nursing home. So I'm going to put that on my list of something to do someday. But bravo, vintage camper trailer people in Southern California. And now other people are doing it too. And I just love the way that's snowballing into something so special for people who are housebound. And what a treat it must have been for them. So that's our news roundup for today. I am so happy that I was able to share that story with you. And I'm going to put the link in the show notes for this magazine. Even if you don't own a vintage trailer, you would love this magazine. We're going to be back in a minute with our campfire chat. Girl Camper presents RV Travel Tips, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. If you find yourself driving into a hailstorm, stop driving and pull to a safe place so the hail doesn't break any of the windows in your car or your RV. Driving compounds the hail, the impact that hail has on your RV. So as soon as you can safely get over to the side of the road, Pull over, stay under an overpass if that's a possibility, or get off the highway completely and just park in a parking lot until the storm passes. It's a good idea to just not take a chance. Driving in really bad weather is stressful. So get off the road, stay safe, wait for the storm to pass. It's a tip brought to us by Progressive, and it's just another way Progressive keeps us safe while we're out on the road. Well, speaking of safety, I want to talk about safety today because my girls are out there and they're traveling and I'm, I'm getting reports. Everybody's 
texting and, and showing me and guess what okay so my friend Gia and Mary are on their way to Nashville for the Country Living Fair Gia picked her trailer up from her dealer who had it all checked did everything you know she specifically said to him how about my tires they're like three or four years old are they good he took a look at the tires and he told her she was good for the whole year she would get another year out of the tires well they're somewhere in southern Virginia and Gia had a blowout and maybe we'll never know what caused Gia's blowout but it started me thinking and you know of course when I'm thinking about tire safety I go right to the source and that's Mark Polk a friend of the show author of so many important articles on RV safety Mark and his wife Dawn have the blog rvuniversity.com Mark is also a writer for Go RVing now he is the go-to guy for trailer safety and maintenance so I was reading an article and I'm just going to summarize a few points but I would I'm going to put the article on the show notes for you to read about tire safety and what I really was focusing on was the causes of blowout so I just want to give a few snippets and things for you to think about, but it's really your moral responsibility to go to the website and learn this. If you're on the road and you're pulling a travel trailer, it's a weapon. It's a tool. It's a thousands of pounds that you're pulling down the road at a high rate of speed. It's your job to make sure it's in the most operable, functional condition you can have it in. So I want to go over a couple of the causes of blowouts. One, there's too much weight on the tire. So the tires have a rating for how much weight they can hold and it depends on the size of the tire and the trailer and that you're towing with. But the RV um, Safety Education Foundation, which our friend Walter Cannon, friend of the show, operates, they did a random testing of vehicles that, that pulled in um, at a safety check thing. 25% of those vehicles were carrying more weight than the tires that that trailer was designed to carry. So the weight of the, the weight of the tire um, was compromised. The weight being placed on the tire was larger than the weight the tires were rated to carry. I hope that came out right. I think it did. So Bridgestone Tires, though, did a random survey, too, and they discovered that four out of five randomly weighed trailers were carrying weight loads that were higher than the weight of the of the design the tire was designed to carry. So this is really a common thing. And the, the least of what could happen when you're carrying weight too high for the trailer is that it leads to premature wear out of the tire. That would be best case scenario for that thing. The second thing is that at the worst case scenario, you're going to have a blowout. At a catastrophic scenario, someone's going to die. And, you know, if you have a blowout and you have a single axle and one tire blows out, you're only on one good tire. If you have um, a double axle or four tires on your trailer and one blows out, it's not as scary as losing a tire on a single axle when you only have two tires. So make sure to get your vehicle weighed. And you know what? You don't just weigh it once. And Mark suggests this, and he says in his article that weighing your trailer is just a snapshot for that day. Maybe you take stuff off or you add stuff, but the trailer weight is going to change with whatever you're towing and taking with you on a trip. Maybe you're bringing a bunch of junk one time and not another. So you should have your trailer weighed regularly and make sure the weight of the trailer does not exceed the weight the tra trailer tires are designed to carry. 
Okay, number two, another cause of blowouts, underinflated tires. Underinflated tires are really dangerous. So when a tire doesn't have the proper air in it, the PSIs, pounds, um, PSI, all of a sudden, um, pounds per square inch, left my mind for a minute, pounds per square inch tells you how much air should be in that tire. It is recommended that you not fill it to the maximum. So mine say 45. I should not fill it at 45, but you should be a little bit under. So an underinflated tire will heat up at a, at a bigger rate than a properly inflated tire. And what happens then is it causes internal damage inside the tire when it's underinflated and it's rolling down the road, it's heating up and it causes internal damage. So tires can also lose up to two pounds of pressure per month. And that's just in regular weather. If you are in Arizona and you're towing in August, those roads are super hot. They're losing way more tire pressure than they would be if you were driving in Alaska on a 55 degree day. So it's really important that you check your tire pressure. Mark says when you're driving on a trip, you should be checking it every single day. On a trip, you should be checking it every day. At the very least, you should be checking it once a week. So the other thing Mark wants us to know is that when you check your tires, that you check them when they're cold. In the morning before you drive anywhere, check your tire pressure. That's the accurate weight rate. When you are driving for a half an hour and you pull over and you check your tires, they're heated up and it makes it appear as if there's more PSI than there actually is. And so you may actually think, oh, my tires are too inflated, I've got to take air out. It's really just the heat expanding. So you remove air thinking they're too much, and then what you actually do is end up under-inflating your tire. So imagine that you've now under-inflated your tire and you're carrying too much weight, a double bad scenario. Too much weight on an under-inflated tire. So always check your tire pressure. Buy a really good gauge and keep it in your tow vehicle all the time. Check your tire pressure in the morning before you leave and check it the next day as well. Okay, another thing that happens when you're towing is things that can happen to cause a blowout. And that is tire damage that happens from UV rays. The sun does so much damage to cause premature cracking and checking, especially in the walls of your tires. Now, I always used to see this Airstream that's parked by my house, and the people had these really fancy, it was double tires on both sides, really fancy vinyl wheel covers. And I thought, oh, those Airstream people, they're such show-offs. <laughs> Look at his fancy top. I never realized he is protecting those tires from UV damage. So make sure that if your trailer is going to sit for a very long time, especially if you're parking in the driveway and you're, you know, you've got a southern exposure and the sun is on your tires all day long, it could beat them up in no time. So get the tire covers. And let's just say you're going to park your trailer for a long time. Maybe you're parking it for the winter. 
The sun's rays are just as strong in the winter in the snow as they are in the summer. How many times have you ever been skiing and come home on a, you know, 28 degree day with your face sunburned? So go ahead and cover those in the winter. And if it's going to sit for a long time, Mark suggests that you may even want to take the tires off and store them in a cool, dry place. So another thing I want to tell you about is the overinflated tires. So underinflated tires are a problem, but overinflated tires are just as dangerous as well. When you overinflate a tire, a tire is designed at a perfectly inf inflated tire. It should be flat and it should grip the road. The tread should grip the road. That is what keeps your trailer from swaying all over. So when you overinflate a tire, basically what you do to that tire is you turn it into a donut. It becomes rounded on the bottom instead of flat where that tread can grip the road. Now you're creating a sway problem as well as um, the damage that's happening to the tire. When you have a tire that's overinflated, there's all kinds of damage happening on, in the middle where the tread is, but also on the inside. So when you stop and you look at the tires, they look like they're good because the damage is happening inside where you don't see. So when you inspect your tires, you really need to get down on your belly and look inside under that trailer left and right and see what the inside of those tires look like because overinflated tires can be just as dangerous. Now here is something Mark shared that I never knew and that is don't overwash your tires. So when tires come from the manufacturer, they're sealed with an anti-ozone and protective compounds that keep that tire from um, cracking and, and checking and becoming uh, decayed and deteriorating in the sun. Just like when you buy a new couch, it's sprayed with fabric sealer, you know, to keep your kid's ice cream from getting in the fibers. So when you take your car through the car wash, that is not going to take that off very easily. That should be fine. But if you're one of those people who's sitting on a little chair in your driveway with a big brush and you're scrubbing those white walls and you're just scrubbing, scrubbing, you're actually taking off the protective layer on your tires. So some tips on tire safety. It's important that we know because it's our moral responsibility to keep our tow vehicles and our trailers in the best condition we can have them. Tire maintenance extends the life of your tires. It decreases the likelihood of an accident and it gives you peace of mind it also makes you a good citizen. So we're going to be back in a minute, and we're going to talk about weekend in whirlwind Wichita. Wichita is a happening place, and I'm going to tell you about all the things you can do if you happen to be passing through Wichita. Well, today it's all about destinations. You know, in the beginning of the show, I say I'm going to take you on the back roads of America the Beautiful and tell you what's happening. Well, let me tell you, Wichita 
Kansas is a happening place. I have had a fascination with Kansas since I was a kid. I don't know if it was the whole Wizard of Oz things or whatever, but I've always wanted to go to Kansas and I have never been there. Well, of course, I always thought I would drive to Kansas because then I can really see Kansas, but we flew in last weekend, my best friend Carol and I, we went to a wedding there and we we thought, you know, we're already in Kansas. Let's just stay an extra day and do something while we're there. So we stayed, the wedding was Saturday and we stayed on Sunday and we couldn't get a flight till late Monday. So we didn't fly out until Monday at five. And let me tell you, Wichita is art. Wichita is a city that is for young and old, active and not so active, and for people who love art. Um, it is the halfway point in the country, too, which Carol's husband uh, kept pointing out to us in text messages because Carol's husband does this. He He's at home when we're away, and he's looking up where she is. She'll send him a picture, and then he'll look it up, and he'll text us all these facts about wherever we are. It's <laughs> so funny. But anyway, so Bill pointed out to us that Wichita is the halfway place in the country. But I, I want to tell you a few highlights in case you're traveling in that direction you're you're going from one park to the next and maybe you know maybe it's two or three hours from where you're going but you want to put it on your hit list because there was so much fun stuff to do so one of the first things i realized when i we first of all the airport we flew in and the airport is 15 minutes from downtown you're there and you're right downtown the minute we drove into downtown i knew we were in for a treat because wichita has all of these art installations all over the city bronze statues we were sitting at a red light and i said to carol oh my gosh look at that cat i hope it doesn't get hit by a car there was a cat sitting under a a bench at a bus stop on on a fairly busy street and as we got up closer we saw it's a bronze statue (laughs) it was this big like persian cat laying on its side with this fluffy tail and i thought what a place to lay down and rest, right? But it was a bronze statue. And the whole city is full of these things. We were sitting at another light and there was a big bird of prey up on the, um, over the the pole that hangs the street light. And I thought, look at that giant bird. But it was a, it was a copper statue. And there was another one I saw of a man playing his guitar with his guitar box open for people to throw coins in. And it, it was a statue. There were so many beautiful little parks. So right away, I thought, we're in for a real treat here in Wichita. So we got there on Friday and we, it was just a crash. We didn't get there till late. And then, um, it, you know, we just uh, went back to the hotel. We had dinner at the hotel. We we had a brief thought of maybe we should go find a nice restaurant. And then, then we said, no, maybe we should go to the lobby and get a steak. And that's what we did. So we got up the next day, though. And the wedding was at 1225. That was a funny number for the bride and groom for some reason. They're two science nerds. She's just graduated from medical school and is finishing her rotations. And he's an engineer. I think they, they jokingly said they met on a nerd website. But anyway, so for 12 1225 that number meant something to them and the wedding was at 1225 at St. Joseph's Church and let me tell you St. Joseph's was in the old part of town which was so beautiful the church was over a hundred years old and I always love when I'm traveling and I always look up the church because you know I'm a good Catholic girl and I never like to miss mass if if I if I don't I can hear my grandmother in my ear you're not that far from the church get your butt over there anyway 
we found the church and I love it when I go into some place I don't know and I find it. And so often when you're traveling, it seems because we're in older sections of the country, the churches are so beautiful. And this was a hundred year old church with a beautiful marble altar and the stained glass windows were just so exquisite. The whole church was filled with these prisms of colored light. It was just a magical day and it was a very sunny, beautiful day, although it was super windy. So we had had the treat of just being in the old section of town and seeing all those beautiful buildings among them St. Joe's. So when we left the mass, we had uh, like three hours to kill because the reception was at four in the afternoon. So we thought we better get something to eat because um, the reception's not till four and that's cocktail hour and we won't get any real substantial food till probably like six. And of course, we both had a cup of coffee only in us. So we were on our way to look for something to eat and we see this big sign, Antiques. So we had to pull over and go. Carol would not let me stay in the store. She was so hungry and she was having a shoe problem that she wanted to fix. So we asked the shopkeeper, where would be a good place to eat? And that's such a great thing to do when you're doing something like this. Ask a local. He pointed us in the direction just two blocks down the street, 604 East Douglas in Wichita, the Old Mill Tasty Shop. I'm so glad we asked because I wouldn't have noticed this and I would have driven right by it. It was the quintessential soda fountain. If you closed your eyes, you could have been a 100 years ago. It had the hexagon tile floors and the old-fashioned soda fountain parlor, ice cream parlor chairs, and little booths. It had the soda fountain with the brass rail that you could sit at. It even had like a 100-year-old oak refrigerator, what they used to keep all the ice cream and everything in. This big giant monster of a thing which was still in the vestibule there but they were using it for storage but I'm so glad they didn't pull it out and throw it away because it was so pretty well the shop the the waitress we had was a cute high school girl but she knew the history boy she loved telling about where she worked she had been working there for several years and it had been in that location since 1933. I asked where the bathroom was. You had to walk through the kitchen and past all the dishwashers. I thought someone was going to hand me a towel and ask me to start drying dishes. All the people were there washing dishes. You had to go right through everything to get to the bathroom, which was off the storage room. I literally had to move a bucket over to get in the door, which I just loved because it was just so hometown and so corny. Cornier than Kansas. It was so fun. Anyway, our food was so good there. And so if you're Ever in Wichita, I highly recommend that you do a sidebar to the Old Mill Tasty Shop. The shop is actually 100 years old, but they have been in that location since 1933. I had a BLT, which I always have whenever I'm in a shop like that, and Carol had a grilled cheese, and we really wanted to go back on Monday just to get a milkshake and sit at the soda fountain, but we were way over our calorie limit for that weekend. So we, did, we didn't make it back there on Monday, but that is a fun thing to do in Wichita. So from there, we went to the reception, which was held at the Aviation Museum, which is maybe 10 miles outside of town or 15. It wasn't that far, but what a treat that was. So the Aviation Museum is a beautiful Art Deco building built maybe in the late or mid-1930s, I forget the exact year. In 1990, it became a historic site. But at the reception, in the big room where the reception was held, the, all the walls were lined with the history of this um, building in this location. 
So Wichita used to be the stopover since it's the middle of the country. That's where all planes used to stop in the 30s and 40s because they didn't carry enough fuel to go all the way from New York or Pittsburgh to California. So that was the stop before they flew over the Rocky Mountains. So you would had to stop in Wichita. It was the main place. And it, this beautiful building, it was Art Deco, just stunning. And it was known as the Country Club Without Dues. So apparently they had special rooms there where all the celebrities would uh, come when they were on a layover because maybe they had to wait like six hours and they had pictures on the wall of Frank Sinatra and Howard Hughes and Danny Thomas. And apparently they used to just break into song and have parties there. <laughs> Uh, it must have been so much fun. Another interesting thing I learned at this, and I thought this was so funny, and this is how legislative we are today and regulated as people, um, they would never allow anyone to do anything like this today. This was way before the TSA. But because the location, which was the Richita Airport for years, now they have a newer, more modern airport, and this has become a museum. But in the 1930s, all the locals used to come out at night with blankets and sleep on the grass on either side of the runways because it's elevated compared to the city. When you're at this location, you're looking down on the city of Wichita, and there was always a breeze there. And so in those days before air conditioning, people would actually come over there and sleep there at night and watch the planes come in and take off. <laughs> so that must have been so much fun. But the building is beautiful. They have some really cool planes on display. They have one of the original FedEx planes from the late 1970s. They have big Boeing um, air planes there. They have small crop dusters that have been completely restored and those are inside and you can actually walk up and touch all of them. There's, They were really flexible that way. The planes that are outside, you can actually, it was very windy when we were there and I, I, I didn't see anybody doing this, although the bride and groom and the whole wedding party were able to go outside and all the bridesmaids and the bride were on one wing and the groom and all the groomsmen were on another. They were blowing away out there, but they actually got a ladder and were able to sit on the wings of the plane. But I think this is a great destination if you have kids because it was extremely interactive. We were able to climb up into the original tower from the 1940s. It was the first airport that em employed this slanted glass in the um, tower windows. So we, it's a great view up there and it's open to the public. Anyone can go up there. You got to be careful on the stairs. But the outside planes, the FedEx plane and the big Boeings, their doors are open. They have ladders. You can go up and sit in the plane, sit in the cockpit. I think any kid would absolutely love doing that. So the Aviation Museum in Wichita, put that on your hit list if you're going by. So when we left the reception, we were done. We went home and crashed. But then we got up the next morning, and everybody was taken off from the wedding. Apparently, everybody booked their flights way before Carol and I because we we really couldn't get a flight on Sunday that we were willing to get up for. So we then made up our minds that we were just going to use the day and have some fun. So we went back to St. Joe's for what my dad used to say. Let's go to the 10 o'clock show. We went to the 10 o'clock show at St. Joe's. And then it was a little after 11. And some people from the reception had told us, locals, that we should go down to what they call the uh, museums on the river. And I have to just say this. Wichita is a really well-marked city. You could get 
anywhere you were going. There were signs all over the place. And I don't want to knock the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, but if you don't, if you're not from Philadelphia, it's hard to get around. There's not a good, good signage in Philly, and that's what I'm used to here. But we were so impressed by the number of signs, this way, that way. We never had trouble getting anywhere, even with our phones and all the signs. So anyway, they told us about this place, Museums on the River. So we went down there on Sunday after church, and they have five museums right down there on the river. One is the Botanica, the Botanical Gardens. We did not go to that, but we drove by it, and we had to make a choice. So they have the Botanica. Exploration Place, which is a science center, WAM, the Wichita Art Museum, the Mid-America All-Indian Center, which Carol was desperate to get into, but it was closed on this Sunday. That was Carol's first choice, and it wasn't open. And then they had something called the Old Cowtown Museum, which is where we went first because it just happened to be at the end of the row, and we drove by everything before we decided. And they were having a steampunk exhibit, which we really did want to see, and we saw some of it outside. But we got there at like 11.30, and they didn't open till noon, so we decided to go down to Wham and look at their outside installations. We, we could have walked, but we drove. And once we got to Wham, we just decided to go in there. Well, I have to tell you, I want to give a shout out to Heather who was at the welcome desk at the Wichita Art Museum. She was so full of information. I told her I was a travel writer and I would write about their thing and she gave us a free pass. <laughs> so thank you, Heather. You saved me $14. Actually, it was half price. It was uh, Sunday. So anyway, thank you for the free pass, Heather. Enjoyed every minute of it. And we went in and um, they were having a jazz thing going on Sunday mornings where they have a beautiful upstairs lobby there. And as soon as you walk in, you see this incredible Dale Chihuly installation. So Dale Chihuly, as soon as I saw this piece hanging from the ceiling and it was called Confetti Chandelier, he's a glass-blowing artist. And I, I recognized his work immediately, although I did not know what his name was. So I was able to read the information about him. So he's a glass-blowing artist, and he has an installation in every city, I mean in every state in the Union. So we saw that beautiful confetti chandelier. It's 637 pieces somehow all put together. If, you, if you're familiar at all with Venetian glass, you would know what I'm talking about. But in addition to that incredible chandelier, they had something called a skywalk. So when you walk into the Wichita Art Museum and the welcome desk where the nice lady Heather was is standing right in front of you, we were talking to Heather for a few minutes and she said, did you look up? when you came in and we said, no, we were just focused on how much does this cost? What time do they open? What's on display here? So Heather instructed us to look up and there's this beautiful Dale Chihuly um, sky bridge. Like it's all his blown glass in between two plates of glass. So when you go upstairs to the uh, lobby upstairs and where the cafe and bookstore and um, gift shop are, you can actually take off your shoes and walk on it. And we did. It made a little creaking noise. It scared me a little, but I figured they must know, right? Anyway, that was so beautiful. The light was coming through that, and there were so many beautiful uh, pieces, individual pieces. I don't know how many were in there, but the one piece that Heather pointed out to us, which I really loved, is he made this big, 
Kansas sunflower and it was in the installation. So when you were standing downstairs and you looked up, you could see this big Kansas sunflower out of blown glass. And if, if Kansas is in sunflowers, I don't know who was. So, and who is. So that was absolutely beautiful. And then they had some really great things going on at the museum. They had, um, Gordon Parks exhibit going on. It's a traveling exhibit, so it's it's not one of their permanent installations. So Gordon Parks is was sadly he's passed, but uh, an African American photographer, very well known in his day and now through his work and the uh, Gordon Parks Foundation. I absolutely loved this exhibit of his. It was all black and white photographs from the 1940s. And what Gordon Parks did is he went back. It's called Back to Fort Scott. He went back sometime in the 40s, and he looked up all his old classmates from high school, and then he went around the country finding them because they weren't in Fort Scott anymore. Some were in Chicago, some were in Pittsburgh, some were in Indianapolis, and he photographed their lives. Oh, I just could have stayed there forever because, first of all, I'm completely fascinated with the 1940s. When I saw these pictures of a mother out in front with her three little kids all lined up in their Sunday best, and you just know what went into starching those pinafores and getting those curls in their hair and getting those ties and shirts right. It, women worked so hard in those days to make their families look like that it was really labors of love i'm fascinated with all of that and so the pictures were beautiful i, I mean i you just don't have enough time when you're in a museum like that so I went home. I couldn't buy the coffee table book, the Gordon Parks uh, book, Back to Fort Scott at the gift shop because, first of all, it was $40 there and I couldn't spend that. And it was so big and heavy. It's a big, giant coffee table book. So I went home and I ordered it on Amazon for $23 used. It hasn't come yet, but I can't wait for that to come. So that is a great um, display they have going on now. The other thing that I really loved at that museum is... They had a Winslow Homer, and Winslow Homer is one of my favorite artists, and a Mary Cassatt. So, you know, just standing there and looking at them so close to them was beautiful. But I became familiar with another artist that I never heard of before, and his name is John Curry, and I'm going to go home and look him up because John Curry... Um, he was the winner of the day for me and in, in, in a new artist. A lot of times when you're in a museum and you see someone you never heard of before, which was most of them because they have a lot of local artists, well, he did a painting called Mother and Father, 1933. So he became a well-known artist and left Kansas and was living in Connecticut, but always very lonesome for home. So every summer he would travel home and he did this beautiful painting of his mother and father in 1933 sitting in the living room at night with with the radio between them and it it was just everything about that painting just spoke to the heart about family life about simplicity about coming home about the kind of stability that kind of home life gives you it, it was beautiful so I'm going to do some research and find out some more about John Curry so when we were done at the museum and we were thanking Heather, she gave us the suggestion that we get on the sidewalk right outside of Wichita Art Museum and take the river walk down to see what they call the Keeper of the Plains. So the Keeper of the Plains is a 44.5 foot statue 
And they have it set on a big 30-foot pedestal, and it's towering over the confluence of the Little Arkansas and the Big Arkansas Rivers. Now, it's a big copper statue sculpture of an Indian chief, and it looks like he has some kind of horn, like he's blowing the horn into the air. And it's, it's set right where the two rivers come together. And if you're in Kansas... Don't call that the Arkansas River because that's the Arkansas, the big Arkansas and the little Arkansas. And that's where they come together. And they have these beautiful river walks going on there. I mean, we had a, it was snowing in New Jersey when we were gone, but it was 88 degrees in Wichita the day we were there. We were getting sunblock on us. And river walks, ducks along the river, people on their bicycles, lots of benches, beautiful footbridge that goes over from the Keeper of the uh, Plains statue, which is a whole little park in itself, um, footbridge over to the other side. So we ended up making this big walking circle. We couldn't have even walked a mile, but it was a lovely walk on a lovely day. We saw an engagement happening. We were walking along, and there were notes on the thing. I've been meaning to ask you something. Then we walked another thing. I've been thinking about how much you mean to me. <laughs> you walk a few feet further. I've been hoping you'll share your life with me. <laughs> so we saw some couple over by the statue. It must have been them. Somebody popped the question. <laughs> Anyway, it was really cute. So the Keeper of the Plains statue has this really neat thing. It's, it's, um, it was, I think they said it was done in the 1980s, but what they did when they moved the statue onto this 30-foot pedestal, they did what they call a ring of fire. So they built these big bunkers, so to speak, all the way around in the river. They're in the river, and they're just these big pilings, but they're stone, and they're really big. And there's seven or eight of them, and they're gigantic round circles and you can see there's something black on top of them when I was there I didn't realize what it was until I came home and was reading it later so it's something called the ring of fire every night at 9 p.m they light those rings of fire that those black things I saw were gas jets so it's called the ring of fire they light it every night at 9 p.m and it lights for 15 minutes and it just lights up that whole area and it's apparently very very beautiful I I didn't we we were too tired to go back we're we're old we were in bed <laughs> at nine o'clock at night we're like we're not getting out of the the hotel and going back to see that although that was sort of dumb because we were there but anyway they light up every night unless the river's high unless it's too windy so conditions permitting they they allow you um to sit all around there and you can see it and there's so many different places you could see it from so if when you were down there at the river walk at the um, ring of fire across you can see that other beautiful museum that they have there we were looking at it and we didn't know what it was until we got home and that was the science museum that they have there so when you're at the ring of fire and you're standing there and you're looking across the arkansas river you can see what they call exploration place it's the science center very modern building with very sculptural looking glass and curves uh, uh, really really pretty you would need a whole day just to do that museum so we could see that 
from where we were and we there were so many places we could have gone and wanted to go but we we couldn't do them all so anyway when we left the ring of fire there we thought we still had a couple hours left we were getting tired and we were debating what to do but we decided to go back to the antique shop where the man gave us the original tip because we were literally only in there for 10 minutes before carol hustled me out and so i'm so glad we did because the shopkeeper there and that was also on East Douglas. I believe it was called the Old Town Architectural or Antiques on Douglas. We went to so many little shops, I can't remember them all. But this one was on East Douglas. And we walked in and we had fun. We bought all kinds of fun things. Everything was so much less expensive there than it is where I normally shop. So we, we bought some treasures. And when we were paying for it, there was a big picture of Miranda Lambert at the checkout counter. So apparently Miranda was in there shopping one day and from one of the local vendors there, she purchased a Dolly Parton statue. And she had her picture taken with the vendor and the guy was telling us the whole story and he was just proud of Punch. And he was telling us that Kirstie Alley from Cheers is a Wichita girl and she has a home nearby and shops in his shop all the time. So we got all the local dirt when we were there and we got all kinds of treasures when we were there. So if you're a junker or antiquer, there's just all kinds of shops in Wichita. There were so many we couldn't get to them all and they were all open on Sunday. There was all kinds of secondhand shops. I went into a secondhand shop and I found a $10 quilt that somebody put in. Goodwill. I don't know how someone can throw Grandma's quilt at Goodwill, but thank you because I own it now and I brought it home. <laughs> uh, Mary's husband was able to bring it home in his car for me. So anyway, I want to tell you that if you have um, an opportunity to get to Wichita, if you are traveling in that direction, if you're full-time RVing, if you're anywhere near there, if that's even slightly off your route, when you're making your summer plans to do a sidebar and go to Wichita because there were so many things we didn't get to. We re really would have loved to have gone to the Exploration Place and the Botanica and the Mid-America All Indian Center and the Old Cow Town Museum. In addition to that, there's all kinds of great arts programs that are happening in Wichita all the time. So that is the scoop on our weekend in Wichita and all the things you could do if you get off the side roads and go to Wichita. We'll be back in a minute. Well, that's our show for today. I would like to thank my sponsor, Progressive Insurance, for bringing this show to you today. And I would like to thank my uh, producer Stephanie Puglisi for all she does to help me make this happen. Stephanie and Jeremy can be heard every Wednesday on Campground of the Week and they can be heard every Friday on the RV Family Travel Atlas podcast. I also want to thank my friend Carol for always being the best travel buddy in the world. We had so much fun in Wichita and I wish that you didn't have a sore throat and you could have been on with me today to tell all about it. But next time because I'm sure we're going to be going places and doing things all summer long. Have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next week.